Yeah, busy day and it's a big moment in the parliamentary calendar, the Queen's speech. And as we got off the tube just now, note the tube, we came by tube, there was a stack of uh, evening standards there. And what was the headline? Fergie quits. So uh, <laughs> that's what the country's talking about, along with Norwich City's imminent uh, relegation, I fear. Let me just also reflect on this. I couldn't quite believe it when I walked in the room here and saw so many people sitting here. And uh, I was just hearing from Chris about who's represented in this room. Lots of CCGs, apparently, which I'm just so excited to hear. Uh, lots of uh, providers of care, but people, lots of local authorities as well, but people who are trying to do things uh, on the ground. And it's a testament to the importance of this idea that I think there's so much interest demonstrated uh, in this room, but also critically uh, beyond. Chris mentioned the Health Service Journal, and I did an interview for them last autumn about my ideas on integrated care, and it was published online, and there was a whole load of comments uh, underneath it, and they were all totally supportive and enthusiastic. And the journalist said to me, just enjoy it while it lasts. This will not be repeated. Minister says something that people in the NHS support uh, is not something that they come across very often. But I, I, I sort of feel, in a way, that the stars are aligned now to really make something uh, happen. And my sort of thinking on all of this goes back quite a long way. Back in 2010, when I was the shadow Secretary of State uh, for the Lib Dems, I uh, published a pamphlet and blueprint for the NHS and I was lucky enough to have Chris agree to come along and speak at the launch of it and it made the case amongst other things it made the case for integrated care as a principle or a, a model of care that we should all be seeking uh, to pursue but it seems to me now that the need is all the greater and the imperative to get on with it uh, is very very clear and you can understand that as a Liberal Democrat I'm not conditioned to imagine that uh, I would ever be a minister so I find myself in this position rather unexpectedly but, but my mindset is uh, well blimey I'm here I never expected to be here I want to use the opportunity to the very greatest degree I can to achieve some of the things that I very very strongly believe in and this is top of the list of all and I think that the case for it is overwhelming and pretty obvious. Uh, let me just talk a bit about the challenge, first of all. And I was looking at some evidence we're about to submit to the Department of Health, the, the Health Select Committee. It's a call for evidence on their inquiry into the management of long-term conditions. And it's estimated that the number of children, adults and older people in England living with at least one long-term condition is set to increase to around 18 million by 2025. These are the people who are the highest users of health services. They account for 55% of all GP appointments. That's why CCGs are right to be here, to uh, engage in this discussion. 68% of all outpatient and A&E appointments, and we see what's happening in A&E at the moment with, the, with uh, services under enormous pressure. 77% of all inpatient bed days, around 70% of the total health and care spend in England is associated with caring for people with long-term conditions. The House of Lords 
Select Committee report on public services and demographic changes said that the demand for hospital and community service spending by those aged 75 and over is in general more than three times the demand from those aged 30 to 40. And it's estimated that under current funding arrangements, total spending, public and private, on long-term care for older people will need to more than double, just imagine that, more than double in real terms by 2030 to sustain standards. So that gives us an idea of the colossal challenge we face. And for me, the answer cannot be doing what we've always done and more of the same. We have to fundamentally change the way the system works. In a sense, we have to recognise that the challenge facing health systems, the health challenge, not just in this country but across the developed world, is different to what it was a few decades ago. Those people living with chronic conditions, often multiple conditions, often for quite a long time, and often with not a very good quality of life to go with it. That means that we have to adapt our health system to meet uh, the challenges that we face today, rather than simply assuming that the original design can stand the test of time. So this has to be a more integrated system that helps us to improve people's health and simultaneously and critically save money. Now, the importance of saving money, it sounds a bit grubby, but if we are to have a sustainable system, we've got to ensure that we don't waste money. Every penny that is wasted is a penny not spent on care for people. And every party of every political persuasion would be in exactly the same position now. We cannot cure our problems by throwing more money at the system. When we're faced with a budget deficit still, where we're spending as a country £120 billion a year, more than we're bringing in in taxes, that's the starting point. And then if you look at the ratio of people of working age to people in retirement, we've been used to a ratio of about four to one. Four people paying taxes to care for one person in retirement. That changes to about two to one in 2050 or something of that sort. The impact of that, the burden, the tax burden that that imposes on people on working age and the challenge of maintaining good quality services, not just health services but across the range, is sort of existential. And any political party has to face this challenge and it's not just the political parties, it's everybody who works in public services has to sort of recognise the challenge first of all and I think enter a sort of commitment to do something about it to ensure, because we have a duty to people that we serve, all of you and, and, and us, to ensure that those services are sustainable. We need people to know that today's health challenges are 100% manageable in my view as long as the health system, the care system, local government and critically community, people, work together. I'll come back to that last element a little later. There are already very good examples of that across the country. Dudley is just one example involving dementia. The local authority and the NHS have developed a joint pathway for people with dementia. A dedicated integrated living team helps people to make the most of the different services available to them. And in fact, uh, they have now gone one step further. This year, they're piloting pooled resources to improve services even more and to save money at the same time. But schemes like that, which are many and varied around the country, are still seen as the exception 
not the norm. Great people doing brilliant things despite the system, not because of it. And many of you, I suspect, are in exactly that position. And if anything, the system has become more fragmented with payment systems that discourage good dialogue between primary and secondary care and institutional barriers between mental and physical health. And in a way, the way I put it is that we've institutionalised fragment, fragmentation of care over the years. We've separated from the very start health care from social care. We've separated now mental health from physical health and we've separated primary care from secondary care. And where does a poor patient fit into all of that? Does it make any sense from the patient's point of view? It seems to me uh, not. I want a system that uh, nationally that encourages that promotes integration, not crushes it. And that's what I think we have to aspire to. At the moment, uh, there are four perceived barriers to that. Money, leadership, capability and evidence. And I want to just say a word about each of those. First off, money. Uh, the problem uh, is using the money effectively. Too often it seems as if we are incentivizing activity in acute hospitals, not using the money to optimise patient care. Instead, we should be lining up different pots of money so different organisations can deliver joined-up care for the patient or the user of a service. Monitor and NHS England are examining that issue as we speak. And one of the things that I'm encouraged by in my uh, regular discussions with all of the national bodies involved in this, I have fortnightly meetings on integrated care to maintain a momentum within the department. And Monitor and NHS England attend these. And I've noticed a journey uh, with them as well. They are very much signed up uh, to this, uh, and I'm encouraged by that. They are looking into things like the year of care tariffs, which shifts the focus away from specific diseases towards individual people. So money follows an individual patient rather than their type of disease. And the organisations involved have an incentive to manage that person's care in such a way as to reduce cost, costly crises of care. There are seven sites testing this model, including here in London, and I know that their findings will be of great uh, interest. Now, the second perceived barrier is leadership. Doing things differently takes good leaders, leaders who don't just accept the status quo, but step up and change things. And I was struck, incidentally, when we had those responses to the article by the Health Service Journal, the sense that there was this real pent-up enthusiasm and commitment and, in a way, entrepreneurship within the NHS, people wanting to do things differently and, in a sense, wanting the centre to give the green light uh, for that, not just in the health and social care sectors but in local government, charities and voluntary groups too. Leadership is critical. And just as good spending works across boundaries, so do good leaders. Integration will follow naturally when they are allowed to do that, uh, for example, through the health and wellbeing boards, which bring together fund holders. Now, the next barrier is capability, or the tools and the skills to integrate in the first place. We cannot afford to leave anyone behind simply because the local workforce works still in a traditional way. Successful businesses thrive because they spread best practice and we should set our sights no lower. We will publish a framework on normalising 
integrated care very soon. Chris has let the cat out of the bag. It's going to happen next week. Uh, it will include information on how to acquire the tools and the techniques that help spread integrated care. We will share practical tools that can be adapted to fit local circumstances, such as standard contracts, predictive risk models, and support for pooled budgets. We would also set up a national knowledge sharing network so that the most useful lessons can circulate as quickly as possible. Now, the fourth and final barrier is evidence. To implement best practice, you first need to know what best practice actually is. Many places have already embraced the concept of integrated care. In Leeds, for example, a foundation trust, several CCGs, a very impressive council and many community services are looking at new ways to meet needs and deliver care. Other places are working on other projects. I've mentioned the year of care funding model. Uh, personal health budgets is something else that I'm extremely enthusiastic about, giving real power to the patient. Now, only a short while ago, I met with staff from two community uh, budget pilot areas, and their work also is very exciting. This network of pioneers, many represented in this room, is the most potent weapon that we have. They know what integration means in practical terms, uh, who it helps, what the problems are, and how to do it. I want to help those pioneers as much as possible so that they have the resources, the time and the freedom to see what works and to put it into action. Details of the Pioneer Programme will, as Chris has indicated, be announced uh, next week. But I don't want anyone to wait for any announcement or to assume that the idea of identifying real pioneers should stop anyone from doing anything on this agenda. I want it to happen across the system. And it's not just me saying that. I've got very strong support within government uh, for this as well. So there is a very clear support and indication that this is the right way uh, to go. Integration can and is happening all over the place, and it must be encouraged. Finally, I just want to mention also the importance of collaboration, I mentioned it earlier, with community. Sometimes I see models of integrated care that takes the top of the pyramid, the Kaiser pyramid, the most at-risk group, and seeks to provide a very integrated service of support for that group of people, identifying each one of them and ensuring that their care is maintained, preventing crises from occurring and so on. And great things have happened by doing that. But we also have to think about lower down that pyramid and how we stop people drifting up into that place. We can't just think of the sticking plaster solution of only dealing with the crises when they occur. We have to be, I think, absolutely focused on prevention as well as on integration. The two, for me, go absolutely hand in hand. When I went and visited Kaiser... And I'm going back there with Chris in a fortnight's time. I saw how their whole focus is on maintaining people's health, very good public health programmes, but also on preventing a deterioration of condition. And this is where I think the collaboration between the sort of statutory services, the providers of traditional services, and community can really 
come in. Last night I met with a guy called Scott Bennett from Cornwall, who's in head of something called Changing Lives. This is a, does anyone know about this? But it's, I'm sure there are other things happening in other parts of the country of a similar ilk. But this is a collaboration between the voluntary sector and GPs and others in the system. It's using people, just you know, citizens, neighbours, to combat loneliness. And it's sort of, we can put it into very sort of professional management speak, but it's just being good citizens, good neighbours, thinking about what makes people's life happier. What's a good life? It's the question that we should be asking ourselves. And, you know, loneliness and isolation drives bad health. It drives poor mental health, poor physical health. People drink too much too often when they're on their own, never seeing any other human being. And at the moment, it's a pilot. It's involving 100 people in a particular location. But the progress that they're making in improving the quality of lives of those people seems to me to be really impressive. Just one little example. He said that the COPD consultant came out of the hospital, probably for the first time, and talked to a group of 20 sufferers of COPD and just talked to them about how they could manage their condition better. Never done that before. He'd only talked one-to-one with individual patients. And he came out of the room and he said, that's the most productive afternoon's work I've ever had. Just doing things differently and collaborating between statutory services and people, communities. I think in that way we can make for a sustainable system that actually improves care but also improves critically well-being. So whether you work in the King's Fund, in the NHS, in social care or anywhere else, my message to you is the same. We can and we must work better together. Only by doing that can we start turning around the super tanker of the NHS, changing its habits and its routine so that we can help more people more consistently. Thank you very much indeed.